Father, in your son's name, Jesus, I pray for your words this morning, that your words would uh, represent, that they would come out of my mouth and, and, and they, would, they would fit your reputation, that my heart would be submitted to your spirit and not grasp after the things I really want to say, that I would say what you have, that I might announce your witness and your work and that your reign might increase in me in Jesus name amen. Amen. amen amen so so I'm struck this morning there there's a line in one of the phrases about Jesus's second coming and it says the the awesome and terrible day of the Lord have you ever heard that phrase the awesome and terrible day Wait, wait, do those two go together? Awesome. It's unbelievably great. And it's terrible. But, but they go together this way. And so when we do this, in the first light of the new day, no one knew he had arrived. What's the next one? Things continued as they had while a newborn baby softly cried. Or in other words, as the biblical verse would say, they continued in marrying and partying and living day after day as though nothing had happened. Next. But the heavens, wrapped in wonder, knew the meaning of his birth. The heavens knew. Um, there's quite a bit of scripture that sort of say God understood, but even some of the angels longed to look into such things that the prophets spoke about, but we didn't really know anything about. Okay, next. In the weakness of a baby, they knew God had come to earth. Now, the angels knew that. That's what I needed. Thank you, Jackie. That's what I needed. The angels, or the heavens, knew that God had come to earth. But what happens when, when one of those great and terrible days happen to you, and they don't go the way you hoped? Now, I've done some weddings, and I would tell you, and I said this to my very own daughter, as we're standing there and things were not going as planned, but she's, we're getting ready to start the wedding march and there's a, a disturbance in the, in the force, right? These are not the droids you're looking for. And I looked at her and she goes, I said, now remember, I told you something was gonna go wrong and you weren't gonna be able to stop it. How you react is a much bigger deal than whatever it is. But humans have trouble with this sort of reacting thing. I was uh, thinking about weddings and things like that. Uh, I was in a wedding party once where the groom, in the vows, started blubbering. By the way, not, not crying softly. but sobbing. You know, he had this view of how the day would go, but right in the midst of it, it was going different than he expected. <clears throat> Do you understand what? And I remember standing up there as a groomsman and, and uh, sort of catching the eye of the maid of honor as she was about to lose it. <laughs> because the groom, she's looking at the groom's face and he's sobbing. I just want you to know 
that uh, sometimes breathing deeply doesn't cut the mustard. Right? It doesn't stop the situation. It doesn't do all of those things. But what is, but as we think about those moments, what's the biggest event in your life? If you think, if I give you three or four seconds, can you think of the biggest day of your life for a second? Did, did you sleep the night before? No? Anybody sleep the night before that big day? What was going on if you didn't sleep? You were given birth. So you didn't sleep. There was travail going on in your life, yes? Okay. Um, in a different situation, anybody think of a great big huge day of their life where it kept them awake the night before? Anybody? What was that? Was that worry or hope? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Thank you for that. Right? Worry and hope. Right? You hope this is the big, this is going to be so awesome. I'm so excited. It could go wrong. What if it doesn't happen? It's the awesome and terrible day. So I know that if you know your Bible, Mark 13, where I am today, seems like an unlikely place to start the Advent conversation because it's really the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's the, as the ancient Hebrews said, the coming of the Lord amongst us. And they, by the way, were so, they, they were longing for him to return. I need, I need to sort of set the stage for this thing so that we know that, that when Nehemiah led the Hebrews back out of Babylon and they took back their spot, they had, a, I mean, it was a marvelous work of God, but something was missing from the return, and that was the presence of the Lord didn't ever show up in the temple and amongst them. And by the way, in their, in their way of thinking about that, if the presence of the Lord, the Shekinah glory, the pillar of flame and fire, doesn't show up, the return isn't complete. It would be like going to a wedding ceremony, and right in the middle of it, everybody got up and left before they said the I do's. Right? Although my words to my daughter were this when things were going wrong in her ceremony was, don't forget that if you sign the paperwork afterwards, you're still there. Because <laughs> it's the signature that does the thing. I would like to say that it's the I do's because I'm the pastor and I ask for those things. But in the eyes of the law, it's the signing of the paperwork. Yes? Anticlimactic. But in the Jewish tradition, I really need you to understand that, that, that they were longing for the return of Yahweh amongst them, that they, that they had missed that, and, and by the way, that it didn't happen, and it didn't happen, they started saying, why have you waited so long? Why aren't you coming? And so, as I read this, I, I want to read a couple of other verses first. So, if you will, turn to 1563 in your Q Bible. That's Mark 13. And while you're doing that, 1563, Mark 13, 
I'm going to read some other verses, okay? So you hear the context. This, here's one that you almost never hear in sermons. Joel 2, 6, 6, 7, 6 through 11. So fear grips all the people. Every face grows pale with terror. The attackers march like warriors and scale city walls like soldiers. Straight forward they march, never breaking rank. They never jostle each other. Each one moves exactly in the right position. They break through the defenses without missing a step. They swarm over the city and run along its walls. They enter all the houses, climbing like thieves through the windows. The earth quakes as they advance, and the heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars no longer shine. The earth, the Lord, is at the head of the column. He leads them with a shout. This is his army. Do you understand that right in the middle of that, the earth quakes and, and everything goes dark and the moon doesn't glow and the sun goes dark and all that? Your world is ending. That is world ending, or I would like to say um, recreation language. Just a second. From Isaiah 13. Scream in terror for the day of the Lord has arrived, the time of for the Almighty to destroy. Every arm is paralyzed with fear. Every heart melts, and people are terrified. Pangs of anguish grip them like a, those of a woman in labor, right? By the way. They look helplessly at one another, and their faces aflame with fear, for they see the day of the Lord is coming, the terrible day of his fury and anger. The, the land will become desolate and all the sinners destroyed with it. The heavens will be black from above them and the stars will give no light. The, the sun will, will be dark when it rises and the moon will provide no light. I, the Lord, is the next word. Do you hear this? By the way, this is, to, this is God talking through his prophets to a specific group of people. But the imagery is this. I like this page three of your Bible. This is the beginning of God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. So the darkness is, is really just before creation language. Where am I going? How many of you are going, this just seems like an Advent sermon I've heard every time. <laughs> no. Let's read uh, from, now that we have this, let's read from Mark 13. That is page, as I told you, 1562. 63. Verse 24. At that time, after the anguish of those days, what is the anguish of those days? If anyone tells you that the Messiah is coming, or look, there he is, don't believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen one. Watch out, 
I have warned you ahead of time. At that time, after those days of anguish, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the skies, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then everyone will see the Son of Man coming out on the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is near and right at the door. And I'm going to skip down. No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when the time will come, be on guard and stay awake. Our Bible says alert. A better translation is awake. What if... The Lord, your God, comes amongst you and you're not ready. What if, you, what if you come and you expect him to come in a certain way and he decides that's not the way he's coming? You have to expect the unexpected. Or what if you have to recognize that you're not the Lord and that his opinion is the one that matters and that, as I was having a conversation earlier today, somebody said, didn't you put in a word to have the snow stop? <laughs> and I said, as far as I figured out, he has yet to ask my opinion. <laughs> and whenever I give my opinion, he says, I'm sorry I wasn't taking new opinions right now. Mine is the one that's going on. It's a comeuppance a little bit, right? That, that we live our lives as though we're actually in charge of all sorts of things. When we're not. But what if you think God's taking advice on when his great and terrible day ought to be and how it ought to be? Or, as they say, the baby came and things kind of just kept going the way they'd always been. But in Malachi 3, if I go back and read some more Old Testament stuff, what's going on in Malachi 3 is this. Look, I'm sending a messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. And then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly be in his temple. What is that about? That's about them knowing that their return from Babylon was not a complete return, and they're still after God's return to his temple because the the Shekinah glory is not returned. They, I, I want to think very clearly about this for a second. You know, they have festivals for all sorts of great deliverers, deliveries, right? They have a festival of the Passover to celebrate what? Being rescued from Egypt. They have a festival for Purim, right? Does anybody know what Purim's festival for? Esther. Esther. The, right, that they were going to be wiped out and God saved them through this presence, right? What's Hanukkah about? Yeah. 
that that when they were um, re-cleansing the temple after Antiochus Epiphanes had slaughtered a pig inside the temple, that they didn't have the appropriate oil to burn for the appropriate days of cleansing, and their one day of fuel lasted for all the days necessary. Right? Any other great festivals in the past? Why don't they celebrate the return of Nehemiah into the land from Babylon? Because it's not complete. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You don't celebrate that we almost got to the wedding. I mean, some people might celebrate that the, that didn't happen, but, but if, if, if you're the bride and groom, you don't celebrate three days before, like we're only three days out. Woohoo, we're done, we got there. No, if the wedding doesn't happen, you let the celebration go and you don't remember 10 years later, well, this is three days before it almost happened. <laughs> right, you don't keep anniversaries for that. Now, some people might. I would say that that's a moment for forgiveness and some other stuff and, and, and move on. But I wanna get into this moment that we understand that the return of the Lord was something that they were really after, that they were hoping for a very specific thing, the presence of the Lord to return. But what if the presence of the Lord to return wasn't a pillar of fire, but a baby in a cave in a town in the middle of nowhere? What a letdown. By, by the way, I just want to say anachronistically that uh, Jesus probably did come back in the, at the time of Sukkoth, which is the Festival of Booze, which would have been sort of August, September-ish. And there probably wasn't snow in, in the Middle East because they probably don't see very much of it. But they definitely don't see it in the summer. Right? It's not cold. It's probably hot but what if it doesn't go the way you're after would you be willing to accept it what if your world changes in a moment and it seems like the sun goes out and the skies fall from the from the sky and the earth trembles and shakes have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt unsteady, like you didn't trust what was going on and nothing seemed regular and all of your perceptions were seeming wrong and all this stuff? Sometimes. That's what this language is about. You've got a new future about to start and none of your old stuff matters the same. And your mountains are shaking. I need you to hear that. What if, what if a groom sobbing in a wedding is not out of place, but a recognition that his world was completely changing? Maybe the sobbing groom, which I harassed him about for many years, was actually appropriate. And I'm going to say this because he was my best friend for 30 years. So um, he, he was the one that was right in the moment. 
but we need to look at our perceptions of this thing. What if the second coming language, where the God is coming to, to be very unsettling, and he's the Lord, and we pretended that we are the Lord a lot, and he comes, and he's going, I'm the Lord, and you spend all your time pretending you're the Lord. What are you? You the pretender king? You were sitting on a little uh, footstool in the corner going, this is my throne? And he's going, yeah, that's a really nice chair you've got there. The whole earth is my footstool. <clears throat> we, have, we, have this, we have this misunderstanding of magnitude, I think. Right? We think that we're powerful because we can lift things. I sort of think I'm strong sometimes because I can move half of one of these pews by myself. But what if the tendency of power is, is that God says to the mountain, move, and it obeys? Right? Do you understand that that's a different magnitude of power? It's command. I think, I'm really strong. I can pick up that rock and throw it. See the mountain moved. No. I just want us to recognize that we need to stay awake and that our hope of a coming world change really carries with it this time of year where we need to stay awake and be aware that maybe God is doing a work in our lives and we're celebrating that when Christmas comes, that God is doing a work in our world that isn't the way we hoped it would do, but he's still the Lord and we need to accept it. And you need to stay awake to your own perceptions, yes? I need to stay awake to my own perceptions. If he's working in my life, I guarantee it, if I need a work of God in my life, and I do, then the reason I need a work of God in my life is because I'm not doing it right, and I'm thinking I'm doing it right. And he's coming, and he's going to do it different. So what is it? They're looking for the Shekinah glory, and God says, I'm, so the Malachi verse, why did I go to Malachi? Lost my train of thought for a second. Let's circle back. I went to Malachi because they were saying, you've left us out here in the cold for so long and you're not doing it the right way and you need to come back, God. And he says, I'm going to send a messenger before me because when I come, if you're not ready, I'm going to have to destroy you because you're so rebellious. You think it's me, but you've cheated me. Think I'm making this up? I'm not. <laughs> the messenger of the covenant, that's John the Baptist in our history, is surely coming, says the Lord of armies, but who will be able to endure it when he comes? He will, who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire. And he will set all these things right. That's what the messenger of the covenant was supposed to do, was set everything right. So when Jesus came, they'd be ready for him. When the Shekinah glory comes up. So what is this really about? It's about God's character and who he is. And I'm going to wrap this up here pretty quick. But I want you to know, how many of you think of God as trustworthy in your life? Okay. I think, does he always do it my way? Does he ever do it really my way? No. no, his question isn't, am I going to do it your way? Is are you willing to help me do it my way? 
That's, that's how he is, but he's trustworthy in it. And he forms a covenant, he offers us a choice between life and death, and he says, if you want to choose life, this is the way you do that. And he gives some instruction. But if you don't want to choose life, you're going to choose death, and these are the things about that. But when he shows up, he's always true to that covenant. But he's also true to the choice that you make. And he's going to let you make your choice. But when he comes back, he's going to keep the covenant. He's trustworthy like that. It's about his character. It's who he is. He's completely trustworthy to be who he said he's going to be and to keep the covenant that he said he's going to come. And if you're sitting there thinking, maybe God's not coming and it's his fault. And he says... Now, I'm being patient with you, and I'm giving you as long as possible to make a better choice so that when I come, I get to keep you in my covenant. Advent. Advent means Jesus is coming. Jesus' name means Yahweh to the rescue if you will, Y-H, the Holy Lord God will save Yahweh to the rescue. But his coming and his character means that the way he comes determines how you'll experience him. How you've chosen between life and death will experience the change. Will your mountain shake or will you go, woohoo, the Lord is here? Because recreation is coming, and that's what's happening. But the first step is him coming amongst his people. Will you trust this, Lord? Will you stay awake and wait and hope for him? That's what Advent's about. Because he's trustworthy, and he's Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we wait, help us wait without only our expectations, but also wait in obedience. Help us hope for your return, but not hope in, in your return that it'll be done our way, but it'll be yours. Help us be set aside for you. In your precious name, amen.